Taiwan International. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International, and I'm Natalie. So, up this hour, we have some music for you on just the classics. But first, join us for a live recorded version of Here in Taiwan. March 9th, a Tuesday here in Taiwan. We're coming to you from Radio Taiwan International. And in the studio today, we have Shirley Lin, Paula Chow, and I am Natalie So. We'll be telling you about how Taiwan has covered the recent interview with Harry and Megan. Also, over 200 flavors of fried rice. That sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? And how many women in Taiwan get sexually harassed at work? We have those figures for you. And also an inspiring story of a doctor who became a certified personal trainer as well. I don't know if any of you guys did what I did, but but, um, I went on YouTube to find out all I could about the uh, Oprah interview with Megan and Harry. Oh, I didn't even know about that. You didn't do that? No. I I don't know why. I didn't watch the whole interview, but I, you know, I watched part of it on BBC. You did? Okay. So, you know, even us here, way far in Taiwan, we're far away from the United Kingdom. We're far away from California, where Oprah is. (laughs) We're still concerned. And all of our papers actually did report on the interview. And I'll read you some of those headlines. It wasn't like on the front page, so like it probably was in the United Kingdom. Um, but uh, the China Times says, Megan's explosive interview. The Taipei Times, which is an English um, newspaper, says, revealing Megan and Harry interview shakes royal family. And the UDN uh, says, Megan doesn't care what the royal family thinks. She might lose her title. How do they know? <laughs> <laughs> and another uh, Apple said, a real-life palace battle. You know, like the there were palaces in the you know, imperial China, right? But this is like real life palace, mm-hmm. modern day palace battle. Actually, I felt like I was watching the next episode, the next season of The Crown. When oh, I was yes. Watching. You have to find the person to play, you know, you know, Megan. Megan. So, oh. well, I think, um, so, well, first of all, what do you think of the coverage here in Taiwan, Paula? I guess just like, you know, media in other countries, because they are royalties, they are celebrities. So, of course, you know, Taiwan's um, leading newspapers all cover that story. And I, I, I watched that story, too. I did, too. I mean, yeah. this was like a guilty pleasure. Like, why am I doing this? I probably should be doing something more constructive than watching this. But I was, like, really into it last night, like, trying to get every single, like, bit of the interview that I could. <laughs> I'm like what am I doing this for and, and it's maybe because I finished watching that series The Crown and like oh so it to me it seems like um, real life is actually depicted quite well in that series because there's so much pressure oh, for these I royals see. oh yes I right? love that team TV drama. Yeah, yeah I, I, I watched fascinating. every single episode. I don't right. even watch that, though, but anyway. Oh, you I mean, should. They, oh, really? It's really interesting how, I mean, it's sad in a way how how many struggles they have to go through and how captive they feel sometimes to their title, to the palace, to the crown. Mm. Um, and obviously, Megan and um, Harry had to deal with that. Um, mm. They also had to deal with racism, right? And um, and um, depression and suicidal thoughts. Oh my goodness, that's Megan, pretty serious. Did you know that she she revealed that really? she was feeling suicidal? Wow. And you know, Harry didn't even didn't even want to leave her alone. Uh-huh. You know, at some point, so uh-huh. it was really serious. And when she asked the institution if she could get some help, they said no. Oh. So that because they're probably afraid it will look bad, but it right. looks worse now, right? Mm, yeah. So I'm Definitely. surprised that she couldn't even you know. 
keep her own passport. Yeah, right. Driver's really? license. And, and they didn't let her yeah. go out to lunch with her friends. What? Oh, that's very, so, very strict. Right. So I think that, wow. I mean, what I see missing, I mean, on, on two fronts, one is that they really didn't take seriously the mental health needs, the well-being of her. Also, Princess Diana is another case, right? I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure all of them, they're just human beings. Just because they're all over the newspapers and very glamorous doesn't mean that they're happy. Yeah. Or that they don't have needs. Usually they're not happy. <laughs> well, they have needs, right? They mm-hmm. have, you know, pressures. And then then also, of course, the racist aspect of being um, concerned about the color of her child, how dark her child would be. That was really sad to see. Really? Yeah. So that's that was, a very sensitive issue. Yeah. yeah so that was a conversation that happened. Between, that's unfortunate. Between Harry and somebody in the family. Mm. So um, I think that they're going to get a lot of scrutiny. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, there's not much they can say. What do you mm-hmm. guys think? What do you think of what, all that was revealed, Paula, since you're following this family? <laughs> <laughs> At first, I thought to myself, you know, why air the, the dirty laundry? Mm-hmm. That's my first uh, But yeah, I guess my, and then I thought about it maybe because, you know, she was, you know, um, she was abused by, you know, by other people. And she felt like it's her right to say that, you know, in public. I think the press, actually, mm-hmm. the tabloid press in the UK really uh, gave them too much stress. And they also had a lot of negative um, reports that were untrue. And you know, the queen, I mean, the, the crown, the, the family did nothing to, to clarify or protect them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that goes for the, the, the royal family in Japan, the emperor. Really? And, oh, yes. Yeah. Are they the same way? Come to think of it. Because oh, you were living in Japan for a while. Yeah, well, um, because now I'm a little confused now. Um, the older, oldest son, I think he decided to marry someone who's a common, common, you know, mm-hmm. a commoner. And um, everybody was worried that she was going to, you know... Not fit in. Yeah. And I think she really had a hard time, I'm too. sure she, she did. She just wasn't... She, she just, was a high-powered career woman in the Yeah, in the right, ministry. right, right. She was like a she diplomat, She just wasn't right? happy. And you know that she's that got that forced smile on her face whenever, you know, they're seen in public, you know, waving from the, you know, from the palace, you know. They have this way of waving. Right, you know? right. And they, <laughs> and they like, look so glamorous that people yeah. think they're fine or that they're very yeah. lucky. But they could be really uh, hurting inside. I th- I'm sure she also went through depression, too, you know. Yeah. yeah. So we have some uh, comments here. Jen Delari says, I've, I've always found the paparazzi hounding of the royals really kind of disturbing. I do agree. I realize they're important people in the UK, but it's really scary how hounded they are. I agree with that. I think that was, you know, one of the major factors of Diana's death, right? And also to, mm. and also Megan's struggle with depression is from the tabloid. They, I mean, they're, they're, they're commodities that... I think we play a part in this too, though. Why are we so interested in them? I, I think it's because what's it's, wrong with us? You know, they have they, nothing to do with me. I don't know her personally. Because they are, you know, world famous. They are royals, and also because they are, um, you know, it, even though they are not um, entertainers, they it's no matter the stories. It's are quite just, you know entertaining. It's our curiosity that <laughs> gets just, over us, like a real life what's, drama. What's wrong with us? I mean, I used to think, what are those people? What's so big? What's the big deal about those people? But then I got into this drama too, you know, and like, what's really interesting, you know? <laughs> because it's covered by all the leading papers in Taiwan, so, so you can't help but I mean, reading them, right? I mean, everybody's just curious. Everybody's just really into. And like you with know, Diana, I think she was the most photographed woman in the world at yeah, that time. Uh, and yeah. So any picture you, you could sell for how much money? You probably can, 
have your retirement fund, you know, from that picture or something. Yeah, true. So they were hounded. And, Ma- and Megan's that, pretty, too. Yeah, she's beautiful. <laughs> and she's very special. I mean, she's an independent woman, biracial, and also an mm-hmm. actress. And But, you know, I'm happy for them that they kind of made their own move um, mm-hmm. to do what they had to do and have their own life. I yeah. know whatever they do, they're going to do a great job and people still be interested. Yeah. Even with or without any title. Who cares about the title, right? <laughs> and they're not getting paid anymore from, from the royal family. Oh, yeah, right. But I guess that's, you know, their stories just like um, stories about Taiwan's celebrities, you know. Right, but I don't right. think... But, the whole world isn't concerned about Taiwan celebrities. Oh, yes. Yeah, so well, they're well, well, concerned about Megan. Different, and, and different level. Comparison, I know. <laughs> right. we're, we're like that. And even <laughs> other countries, you know, royals, people don't care as much. Like Denmark <laughs> or, um, you know, all these um, other places. Japan, even. But uh, anyways, we have a lot of people saying hello. Hello, Fahad Gagbobi. He's writing from uh, Somaliland. Hi. Hi. All the way in Somaliland. Yay. Also, Dabashis Gope. Good afternoon to you. And also, Saiful Islam says this is a very nice program. It's great to hear from you. I know we have a lot of uh, listeners out in South Asia. It's wonderful. Rudy Hartona says, I like this interview and I like English text. Okay. And... um, Harold Jossum writes, hey, dear friends, how are you in Taipei? Um, Good afternoon from Bangladesh. Now I'm watching you on your online program. It's very informative and interesting. And so it's great to hear from our friends uh, around the world and uh, keep on writing in throughout the show. We'll be reading your comments. another controversial topic well yesterday was women's day so there were a lot of different surveys and stories about women we have a nice story at the end of the show about women a woman but um this is about concern about um sexual harassment at work and there was a study by the department of labor actually um about you know how many people have complained about it and how prevalent it is so what do you think the percentage is at least 40 Fifty percent, or You're even right. higher. It's forty-three percent um, who of the women who are polled said they have experienced sexual harassment at work. Ninety percent said they were silent about it. Oh, yeah, and two-thirds we were harassed physically. Uh, about sixty percent were verbally harassed, and thirty-seven percent were subject to unwelcome advances or staring or messages, and forty-two percent were targeted by supervisors. So what do you guys think of this issue? Hmm. You know, uh, I think a lot of people think that verbal abuse is not the same as uh, sexual harassment, but it is. You know, verbal can be as hurting and biting and cutting as, you know, physical abuse. It can make you very uncomfortable. Yeah. I I mean, I think maybe some guys think they're just um, teasing or something. Right. They think it's it's just for fun. It makes you very uncomfortable. So I would like stay off the topic of sex, basically, at work, right? Hmm. You know, I mean, you, it's hard to draw the line, like what right. you can say and what you can't say. So I just stay yeah. off the topic or, that, or that people's bodies. Hard. Right. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to talk about people's bodies. So um, that's just some free advice out there for men. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's sad that about 90 percent of the women who were harassed remain silent. That's you true. Know? Because they, I think we don't have a channel, a proper channel. Oh, you know, to you know, hmm. to vent your uh, you know grievances 
So I know that Taiwan does have a requirement that there should be a channel. Mm. Um, and that was passed a long, maybe over a decade ago. There was a Gender Equality in the Workplace Act. And um, it says here that 88% of companies with more than 30 employees do have regulations in place. But I think the culture here is still more conservative about mm. standing Standing up, um, up and, and voicing out about these kind of issues. I don't think Me Too really um, took off here in Taiwan. Yeah, you're no, right. Yeah, it, yeah it, it took off at, uh, other places, but not really in Taiwan. Well, but the good news is women here in Taiwan have become increasingly assertive. Uh-huh. Right. What do you mean? It, what, what? Like they just more braver? They are. They're, yeah, that's right? stronger True. than before. So that might, you know. Things are changing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're number six in the world in terms of gender equality, actually, mm-hmm. and number one in Asia. So that's pretty good. Um, what do you think about that? Do you feel that in Taiwan? Yeah. I mean, people feel more free to be themselves mm-hmm. and express themselves. And um, I think when when we had that gender equality thing, you you see a lot more people for, you know, like more at ease with expressing who they are and not being afraid of you know being labeled or yeah it, it's it's amazing because um I think people just feel more at ease here and being themselves and and they don't have to worry about making you know people giving you weird looks or or even like you know um, become unfriend uh, unfriendly with you despite the fact that they know you know what what status you are you know so. I'm talking about foreigners too. They feel so much more at ease here in Taiwan because mm. uh, people don't meddle with, like you know, like they they let you have your own business and and have your own privacy and freedom and you know space. I think that you well because Taiwan is an open and democratic society, right? That, so there's so many yeah, that's different any- types of uh, views and opinions and um, you know hobbies or what interests, and people are free to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot more laid back, and people are more accepting um, compared to maybe other countries in Asia mm-hmm. about um, all kinds of things. And women probably do feel more empowered. Right. I mean, I never really felt like discriminated against because of my gender. Right. Did you? Did Mm-mm. you guys? No. Nope. No. So yeah, it's really yeah I think in the workplace, I, I, I don't know. Um, it maybe vary by sector and by company, but at least here in RTI, I think we're doing okay, right? Right. Right. <laughs> yes. I mean, of course, occasionally we you know read something in the news, um, more societal news. Where you know someone, a, a woman felt like she was being harassed or discriminated against, but it's very seldom you hear those kind of stories. You know, I mean, only occasionally, and um, but at least you know these women are willing to speak up. You know, and which is not, it wasn't that easy before. Maybe what twenty, thirty years ago, uh, women are not don't feel as easy to talk about these kind of things, but now they are. And I think it's because Taiwan is now more exposed to the world, you know, encourage people to, like, expand their horizon by traveling abroad, you know, watching, you know, international news. So they understand more. So they feel they understand. So they feel free to express themselves, feel more at ease, brave. Yeah, more brave to express themselves. Well, if you guys have any thoughts about sexual harassment in your country, if women feel empowered to talk about that, you can let us know. Um, well, I think that I hope that women feel empowered when uh, they are not being treated 
uh, with respect, right? And, and mm. dignity to say something. And um, yeah, so anyways, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we have these women's foundations. We have quite a few of them who are really taking care of people, women who have been victims of uh, violence and also getting the word out, you know, and, and also enacting and fighting for new laws yeah. to bring you know, these rights to women. Right. Paula, remember many years ago, you and I both went to the, what was it, Garden of Hope Foundation? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And then because they actually invited some, you know, women, like powerful women, not powerful women, I mean, outstanding women who had some real stories to share, came to Taiwan and visited the foundation. And we did some interviews with right. these foreign That's, women. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right. And that helps to, you know, help Taiwan, Taiwanese women, because we're usually in general more traditional and conservative, that when you hear about these stories of other women in other countries, you feel empowered. And so they feel like, you know, they have a, a place in this society and be willing to voice it out and things like that. But I really appreciate foundations like this to help people, especially women who are like homeless or who are physically abused or, you know, family abuse or, you know, whatever at home. And then they have a place, a haven to, to go to. You know, I think that's only one of the few you know, foundations we have here in Taiwan that do that, which I think is amazing work because I know, you know, actually a lot of women could be not fairly treated by their husbands or boyfriends or employers, but they have a place to go. Even though they couldn't voice it out, they have a place to go and feel comforted, you know, which I think is really not easy to run a place like that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, I was uh, once uh, in a group of friends, all women, and all very high-powered women. I'm talking oh. about, like, ambassadors, famous pianists, famous anchorwomen, and we all had experienced sexual harassment oh, just mm. at some level. And, yeah. and I'm like, oh, wow. Even all these like women, you know, these yeah. really, to so it's so degrees. common. Yes. Yeah, to be, whether it's verbal mm. or, you know, physical, or whatever, something that made you uncomfortable. Mm. So that's a very common experience for women. And we hope that um, that can be changed. Um, anyways, let's go on to the next story. Oh, the next story is about fried rice, right? Tell <laughs> us about this. Okay, this is totally amazing. Um, there's a social media user who found a restaurant. It's like a small restaurant. It's an eatery in Taiwan that shows a menu of 216 types of fried rice. Whoa, that's and a lot. And the list is huge. Some, some social media was saying that it looks like, you know how Taiwan um, students have to go through the high school entrance exam or the college entrance exam, and then when they post the results of how well you do an exam mm-hmm. on the wall, it looks like that, the yeah, menu. So many words. It's like, yeah, and they're, they're so tiny. People are saying that you've got to have good eyesight to go to this restaurant and pick the right fried rice so that you want. What, were there any flavors that they mentioned? Yeah, there's a few. Actually, you know, it's kind of cheating because it's not only just fried rice because there's also soup noodles and fried noodles and soup pho with the Vietnamese, oh, you know, rice Those noodle. counted in the death. Yeah, in, in the yeah but still, 216, okay? And so... Um, Fried rice with eggs accounts for more than half of the menu, I guess, with different flavors, okay? <laughs> and then there's also, of course, there's the common fried rice with ham and eggs, then fried rice with mutton and eggs, that's lamb Ooh. meat, and then fried rice with assorted eggs. How many different kinds of oh, eggs? Oh, we have can lots you- of eggs. We have <laughs> thousand-year-old eggs. Yes, and salted, and salted eggs. eggs. Those are all really good. I know, they are good. That sounds we really delicious. We only three, <laughs> and then a plain oh, egg, and- right? 
Douglas North says he wants to try all 216 varieties. Wow, that, that's You're a done lot. for a year. You're done with your... It's Someone was saying that. for a year, that's right. Yeah, well, more than a year, you know. And then um, uh, and then there's really also... Really? Are you egg. getting hungry? Okay. Salted egg. I, li- I do like that I like in that. a lot of things. There's also different flavors such as cabbage, tomato, green pepper, corn, garlic, preserved eggs, which is the thousand-year eggs, uh-huh. curry, and even cherry curry. shrimp, which I think is... Cherry um, shrimp just is a, good. It's just very in like... It's like the really small... The small ones that are um, deep-fried and the garlic and, yeah, and crunchy, it's, very Yeah, it's got tasty. its own very distinct flavor. So it's, it's just amazing. But someone else was also saying, if you're an indecisive person... Don't go to this restaurant. Yeah. And I think that's close goes, your eyes and just point to something. Oh, I can't. That goes for <laughs> me. Because I am not going to go for the usual, you know, like the, what, the pork fried rice or the, the shrimp fried rice or the beef fried rice. So I would definitely go down the list and I'll find like one. one. That different I've, types of eggs. That sounds yeah, really good. Okay, so that's yours. But I would, I'm the kind of person who go down the whole list oh my and then decide on which one I really want. So this is not a restaurant for me. It will no. take you a couple of minutes. If to, you guys like no, it probably the menu. Minute, 30 minutes probably. If you could have a fried rice flavor, what would you put in your fried rice? How yeah. about cheese? Yeah, uh, sure. Why not? Oh, Paula doesn't like cheese. Paula doesn't like cheese. I do I not like shows with fried rice. No, I think if I, it's like... Why um, not? Parmesan? Yeah, like, you know, like, what do you call it? Baked fried rice with cheese over it? Why not? It'll come oh, out really nice and crunchy good. and, you know... Cheese and ham. Yeah, and like these... Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, well, you know what? I mean, I never really learned how to cook before I left for college. Uh-huh. But then when I went to college... I mean, my roommates were always like telling me, oh, make us some Chinese food. And I was always mix fried rice. Every time I made fried rice is always different because I would throw different things in there. Uh-huh. I would put, you know, like different flavors. Every time my roommates would different say, flavors? oh, it's so good. It's so good. But really, it's, really it's easy nothing. To make. It's really basic, right? It's but really it's like, easy to make, actually. You can make it with leftovers. Yeah, you can make it with all, all whatever spices is, you like, have in your country. <laughs> what kind of spices do you use? I don't know. I can use all kinds. So and like, all you need is an egg, at least one egg, <laughs> and then rice that's already cooked, and then some ingredients to cook with it. Right. And you um, put the egg in there, and then put the rice on there, and then stir everything together. I think in the States, the easiest thing is that, you know how in the States, they have so many different varieties of frozen foods. Oh yeah, you can just frozen like vegetables. The, the vegetables, or you can just right, right. And bake. You can put like whatever meat you want. So the Bosch's Scopey says, "I like fried rice with meat." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could put meat in there. You sausage, can have ham, a seafood, uh, um, all this great stuff. Beef, pork, chicken. Yeah. You can do anything with fried rice. Actually, very yeah. delicious. <laughs> all right. So, and we do have a nice story about a doctor, a female doctor, who also became a certified personal trainer. That sounds like a cool thing to do. Right. She's a surgeon, so she has a very tight wow. and busy schedule. Surgeon. No, she works all. Uh, it's almost um, seven days a week. So one day, um, she thought to herself, "Well, you know, I I really don't have time to do exercise. I'm getting fatter and fatter. What am I supposed to do?" So she decided to, uh, you know, do some exercise. She went to a fitness center, and then she enjoyed it. And then after a while, she decided to become she herself. She decided to become a certified personal trainer. Wow. And she did it because she she had to take a test. She passed a test. And that um, certificate was, you know, was certified by the American Council um, um, Exercise because this is her mentality. She said to herself, um, it's important to, you know, to show her patients that she is, you know, healthy. And she, I mean, no, 
not just appearance because she's kind of overweight. So it's really important to. So is she overweight now? She probably lost weight by now. Right, but she's okay right now. She said it's really important to set a good example for her patients. So she sometimes she'd um, you know tell her patients we can see each other in the hospital, but we can also see each other in the fitness room. That's we, we can do exercise together. She actually encouraged her patients to do that. So she said she thinks this is really good. And she's how old is she? She's over 50. Right. right. So it's never too late to get in shape, right? Never mm-hmm. too late to become never a trainer. Late. That's that quite amazing. True. Trainer's hard. Yeah. I did read about a grandma. She started when she was in her 50-something, yeah, really? and she became the oldest. She's in her 80s. Well, well, the oldest weight bodybuilder uh, champion. Is she a trainer, too? I'm sure she is. Yeah, she a, is. So oh, she's, wow. she's great, and she looks so young. Oh, you got to look her up on the internet. She's there. That does it. <laughs> Makes you look young. Okay, so those are some uh, stories from uh, here in Taiwan. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here in Taiwan. I'm Natalie So. I'm Shirley Lin. And I'm Hala Chow. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This is Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to Just the Classics. I'm John Van Trieste. If you've heard this program before, you know that Taiwan's classics come in all forms, from traditional songs to golden oldies to original classical music written by Taiwanese composers. This week, though, I want to take you on a journey through the world of what you might call Taiwanese folk music. I'm talking about the songs that every Taiwanese person will know, regardless of generation or background. The Taiwanese equivalents of, say, Old MacDonald Had a Farm, or Oh When the Saints Go Marching In. The tunes are extremely familiar, ingrained into people's consciousness from a young age. But unlike the Western examples I just gave, many of these songs are also tied in with a sense of Taiwanese identity, and a number of them aren't even really all that old. A few of them may be even written in your own lifetime. Today we're going to hear renditions of eight easily recognizable Taiwanese songs, many of them in a 1960s or 70s arrangement. As we go along, we'll explore the history and lyrics of each song. I hope you enjoy. Our first stop today is a song with a bit of a blurry history. Tin O O, or The Sky is Black, is a nonsense children's rhyme found in different versions across Taiwan. But according to what I've been able to find, the tune people know and love today is a product of the 1960s, when songwriter Lin Fu Yu put the rhyme to music. With the help of superstar singer Teresa Tang, this 1960s version seems to have gained the upper hand and become the standard. The lyrics talk about a darkening sky just before a rainstorm. Grandpa heads out to the field to dig up some taro root to eat, and in an improbable twist, ends up digging a fish out of the ground instead. He and Grandma can't agree about how to cook the fish, and end up arguing so fiercely that they end up breaking the cooking pot. Ah, <laughs> 
咸，阿妈要煮食。阿公阿要煮咸，阿妈要煮食。啊啊，两个小怕拢破定，伊也迄度拢当一趟车。啊啊啊，阿公阿要煮咸，阿妈要煮食。阿公阿要煮咸，阿妈要煮食，啊啊，两个小怕拢破定，拢破定，拢破定，伊也迄度拢当一趟车，哇哈哈，哇哈哈，哇哈哈。On to a regional song that's become well known nationwide. Diu Diu Donga is a children's song, mostly made up of nonsense words that describes a train passing through a tunnel. A train goes through a tunnel, and the water in the tunnel drips down. Would be an adequate translation of those few words that actually have a meaning. This song comes to us from the Ilan region of northeast Taiwan, and while its origin is unclear, it seems to have come from the Japanese colonial era when trains arrived in the region. This period lasted from 1895 to the end of World War II. <laughs> Of children's songs, we now travel to southwestern Taiwan to another piece of regional music. The grasshopper teases the rooster. This is another song of undetermined origin, here performed in instrumental form. 
this particular song might not be as well known among the general public as the other ones we're going to hear today, but lots of Taiwanese composers and arrangers seem to like playing with it. next is a song with a more definite origin. Hoping for the Spring Wind is the quintessential Taiwanese song, first recorded in 1933. If there is a Taiwanese classic, it's this one. The song tells the story of a young girl alone beneath the lamplight, wishing for love one night, and catching sight of a young man she likes, but being too ashamed to so much as ask his name. The 1930s saw a boom in early Taiwanese record albums featuring songs like this one, and Taiwanese pop music in general flourished, influenced by Western musical trends of the time, and Japanese ones as well. After all, Taiwan was ruled as a Japanese colony during this period, and the companies issuing these albums were often Japanese-owned. This particular tune became so well-known that a few years later, during World War II, it was given militaristic Japanese lyrics and turned into a propaganda song.
Also dating from this era is 1938's The Four Seasons Are Red, which describes a blossoming romance through Taiwan's Four Seasons. The song is performed by one singer in this cover version, but it was originally written with alternating male and female parts. In contrast to much of the Taiwanese popular music of the time, this is an upbeat, even cute number. That didn't spare it from the censors after World War II, though. With the end of the war, Japanese rule came to an end, and the new Republic of China governments, now in charge, saw signs of communist subversion everywhere. The use of the word red in the song's title and lyrics was enough to get it banned. <laughs> The post-war era was an authoritarian age, when songs of all kinds were banned suddenly, and often for trivial reasons. Another banned song was 1949's Hot Sticky Rice Dumplings, which describes the tough life of a street food vendor. This was an era of inflation and unemployment, but the censors felt the lyrics were too bleak a description of life, and so this hit number got the axe for some time as well.
Despite the post-war government's love of censorship, songwriting didn't stop in Taiwan, and some notable hits that didn't end up getting banned also date from this era. The Maidens of Ali Shan was the theme song of a 1949 film. It uses an existing tune, but made it much more popular in the end by adding memorable new lyrics. These lyrics praise the beauty of the women of Ali Shan Mountain, the strength of the mountain's men, and the rugged beauty of the mountain itself. Shine. Go, 
songs are still being written that capture the Taiwanese imagination and become classics. 1979's Mei Li Dao is one example. This song's name translates to Beautiful Island, a reference to the old name Europeans gave Taiwan, Ilya Formosa, which means the same thing. This is in the tradition of student-penned folk songs that became all the rage around this time. The lyrics are a love letter to Taiwan, calling it Our Cradle. This simple song has no overtly political message, but the powerful sentiments it stirred up among democracy activists looking to end years of authoritarian rule led to them adopting it as their anthem. In the eyes of the authorities, the song became tied to them and activists pushing for Taiwan independence. And so it was banned. You can't keep a good song down, though. And this song, too, has entered the Taiwanese canon, especially with the arrival of democracy and the end of censorship. enjoyed this look back at some of Taiwan's most beloved classics. There'll be more to come next week, so be sure to tune in again. I'm John Van Trieste, and I'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.